Um, for those of you who have got uh, Bibles open, it's up there. the specific passage isn't the very beginning of, um, of Hebrews 10, it's from verse 19. And one thing I thought, as uh, a, a fantastic video, one thing that I thought I'd say before we read this um, scripture, I also think it's very important to read these 10 verses, is because um, the, the sort of title, uh, Perseverance and Hope, which is the uh, section that uh, starts from verse 19. And then for us as a church. So one of Satan's weapons is the church being half-hearted, that we don't care and we're apathetic. Um, and if we fully realise the amazing gifts that, we, um, that give us hope through Christ, our lives, and more importantly, our church, would look very, very different, I think. And... The thing to, that is, seems very basic, but really stirs me up, and I was a bit worried that I'd lose some of the sort of passion that's, as I've been preparing this, that comes through, is, is that um, this amazing, incredible fact. We have the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, living in our bodies, this holy, sacred flame. That, there's, oh, we didn't sing that one today, it's from a hymn, that one. The holy, sacred flame burning inside of us, and only because of Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us. And that is an just the more you think about it, as simple as we've heard it so many times, the more it should stir us. So, Hebrews 10 from verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to act of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And that line, particularly interesting to think it was written 2,000 years ago. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. 
You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now. So that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised for in just a little while. The one, sorry, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. There's kind of two halves uh, to that um, passage that I just read, so from verse 19 through to 26, but then from 26 onwards it takes a slightly um, different turn. So I'm going to focus on those first few verses whilst trying to interject those later bits on. So talking about perseverance and hope, There are three places which we can get that from. And these, I think, this is why I'm I'm so glad that I've got this bit of Hebrews. It's really easy to talk about these things in some ways. Um, They're not really challenging with the Old Testament covenants like Chris had. And having to deal with blood, as as, um, SJ was kind of having to go through, talking about these meaty subjects that we keep getting, I get to talk about hope. And where you get it from, um, I've drawn out these three things from these verses. Salvation promises and, and each other. Might have um, that last one. You might have noticed the sort of think of ways to motivate each other. So the first two I want to brush over. Um, so previous sermons from Chris and SJ um, have just you know put this background behind it. We are so confident that we're going to get salvation if we've accepted Christ and we continue to listen to His teachings and we follow what His Word says and we're dedicated to it. We have this unbreakable knowledge and promise that we are going to heaven and uh, you know so what is heaven like I sometimes get a bit you know I want I didn't want to put any pictures up because I want your imagination to go with this because this is something that spurs us on we're told many times in the new testament remember this that you're striving for this is the promise for all of your suffering amongst other things so I've, I've picked up a few scriptures I did that last time press it once there we go I'm not going to read through all of these. I've, I've run into that issue before where it then takes an extra 15 minutes onto the sermon. But John 14 is that wonderful place where, in fact, some translations use the word home. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's home. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you. And this is um, other scriptures which I'm going to get into. Talk about thousands, perhaps millions of people from every tribe, every nation, praising God in this amazing city that is in heaven and each and every single one of us have got a specific place prepared for us in our Father's home. If that's not you know, really loving and also fills you with a bit of joy and, frankly, relief, it, it just, it, there's so many other things that spur us on with that one. That I just keep talking about that one alone. Um, and the, these are more the famous ones. There's quite a few different places in the New Testament that talk about this one. But there is no more pain. There is no more suffering. There is none of this evil in the world because God was going to wipe away every tear. And these scriptures say it far more poetically than I could as well. And Isaiah 25, so going back to an Old Testament one as well, because obviously the two prophesy about each other. God will swallow up death. And that's the very word that's used as well, swallow up death. I mean, you think of the God who can hold the entire universe in his hand, death and sin that came into the world through you know, Adam and Eve and that, uh, the fall, swallowed up and gone. No more death whatsoever. Which I think might be encouraging for the vegetarians anyway. Revelation 22. We're praising God in heaven. That's quite, you know, there's three verses there, but it talks about this beautiful, continuous worship, praising God. And then also Philippians 
3 verse 20. This one, I've, uh, you hear it in songs sometimes, it really stirs up something in me. That we're citizens of heaven. Right now, we belong not to this world, but we're bought with a price that is Christ. That's another um, scripture from somewhere else. And we belong as citizens in heaven. That we belong there. We think of our citizenship in the UK far more certain as our citizenship in heaven. And Matthew 22, obviously one of my favourites. For anyone who knows me even slightly, there's going to be a massive banquet. There's that whole um, chapter in Matthew 22. It's it's talked, you know, it's like a wedding feast, and those that are invited didn't come, and then others are being grabbed off the street, and it's it's a wonderful picture. And there's other scriptures that talk about it being like a banquet or a wedding feast. You know, just to give you an idea, we quite often, not every wedding is wonderful, but the food is normally quite good. So. There we go. So promises. I mean, that salvation is something that we we get hope from because we're longing for it. But there are also promises. And Chris briefly touched on it. And obviously, I don't have anywhere near the same amount of time to go into this. But the promises that God gives us, he mentioned that statistic. There are over 3,000 promises in Scripture. So I did a search and narrowed it down very significantly from that. So I want to go through each one again. So Genesis 26 and Exodus 2, those are verses that talk about God's promise, God's covenant, which is a covenant slightly different to a promise, God's covenant with Abraham, and uh, promising to give Abraham the whole earth and his descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. And it's interesting the themes that we're going to see as we get into the New Testament with this as well. So in 2 Samuel... It's really worth remembering this. I've summarized these scriptures, obviously. All God's promises prove true. None of them are sort of false or deceptive, which is also the next one in the Psalms. All God's promises are pure as well. Those two things completely change you know, promises. I've had plenty and I've given plenty as well that I haven't followed through in, to my shame. God is, is nothing like that. There's no deception. They're true and they're pure as well. They're just nothing but love behind it. And, and, and righteousness. So in Daniel 9 as well, unfailing love, which is really helpful because it does, you know, we often need a lot of patience when working with sinful people. And also, Luke, interesting, going back to Abraham, um, it made this promise to our ancestors, and through Christ, we're also children of the promise, which is one I'll get onto in a bit. So Romans 4, God promised to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants. Noticing the very interesting thing, by faith. It was only by faith that Abraham received that promise. And God forgets to talk about faith next week as well. So I'm sure that will be a really good one to continue spurring us on. But our promise is received by faith as well. That's another scripture that um, just backs that one up. And the next one, just got a few more. So 2 Corinthians, now we're into the New Testament. Um, we're identified as God's own. That's... Um, there's another one about being citizens of heaven, like we're marked by God. He knows that we belong to him, like the shepherd and the sheep. We're God's sheep, and that is, that is an incredible thing in itself. But then also, we gained the Holy Spirit, as mentioned earlier. That is the first part of God fulfilling the guarantee that he gave Abraham and to his descendants. That the first installment of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit in us as well, through Christ. In Galatians, um, again, another one backing that one up, because you'll get that some of these 3,000 promises are a little bit repetitive as well, which is for a very good reason. But God's promise of freedom, that we're free from 
all the world has to throw against us. It's not just sin, temptation, suffering, everything that the world has to throw at us. And Galatians 4, we're children of the promise, just like Isaac, going back to that Old Testament promises and covenants that are coming through as well. And in Hebrews, because God promised entering rest before, uh, sort of as like leaving Egypt. And there's other points as well, many times where he promises that one. And that as well, when you're going through difficult times, is just a really incredible promise to keep reminding ourselves of. And also, God's promises never change. We talked about God being yesterday, the same yesterday, today, and forever. These promises, they never change either. And it's not that one contradicts the other, or God forgets like the first promise, and he's on the like, you know, second thousand or whatever. They're all the same and never change. And God, thankfully, this is, uh, this is the last one, Praise God that he is patient in delivering his promise. Because as we have read in this scripture and others, there is also the promise of destruction. There's a promise if you follow Christ that you get these things. If you don't follow Christ, there are serious consequences. And uh, it's not just because Godfrey has to, happens to be an eye line, but it's something he kept banging on when I was a younger person. Consequences, consequences, consequences. I think that might have been an Italian mentor who told him that as well. You've got to always think about these these things. So there is 12 out of the 3,000 promises that we can lean on and be so assured of because God never changes and he promised these things thousands of years ago and we're seeing it come through in us now. And that 2 Peter one says that right up until the end of time, God is patient to deliver the judgment because he wants every single person to be saved. That's his heart. So there's salvation, gives us an incredible hope that we long for, promises, reassured that that salvation that God has promised us will also come through and also true because some of these promises now we're receiving the benefit of, but particularly that first installment of a guarantee, the Holy Spirit in us. So finally, I want to spend a lot more time on this one because encouraging each other is a really interesting topic in uh, today's um, society, I think. Um, I've got a few things I want to draw out of of, um, of Western culture a bit, which I think sets us back uh, from this point. So, yeah, there's an easy one to start off with. Uh, there's a few definitions of hope up there. So you want something to happen or be the case, or a feeling of expectation. You know, it's always looking forward and uh, a desire for something to happen. But I really like this ancient archaic one. I think it might have been from uh, the Collins English Dictionary. A feeling of trust. I hadn't really associated hope and trust before I started preparing for this sermon. I think that's a really interesting one. And I think I heard another preacher, uh, Timothy Keller, talking about hope. Uh, Thankfully, I haven't plagiarized half of his material. But he points out that we often... um, we often hope to go from a place of uncertainty to certainty. We're obviously quite often going through some sort of period that isn't brilliant, and we hope to get out of it. You know, we're always hoping to go from chaos into peace, order, rest, anything like that. That's normally what we're after, and especially when he said it's like a you know, bell ringing, and I can certainly look back and say that that's often what I've associated hope for. But hope for us as Christians, as I've just pointed back to, starts from a place of certainty, We've already been promised salvation. We already know where we're going. I know there is suffering. We do go through difficult 
times, but the difference is when we go through those, we're already starting on rock. We're already starting on Christ, which is a very, very different place to go through. As I can look back and know when I wasn't trusting in Christ at all, that those times of hope get really dark and hopelessness is something that you never want anyone to go through. Every time you think there's like no way out, we already have a starting place for that. So, Something that um, also in this scripture, this is where we'll now go back to those who've still got your Bibles open, to the latter part of that scripture in Hebrews, where um, fear builds up, uh, certainly. We, this is something that we don't get so much in this, in this country, is, is persecution. Because in verse 32, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you're exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. This is why we talk, it's sort of changing things from hope to perseverance as well at the same time they go a bit hand in hand because hope we hope for things and you might think that gives us the warm fuzzy feeling and it inspires you in it and it brings all of those things that are from the holy spirit that ground you in christ and in his love and can get you through those things but you still go through that suffering this is why we have to persevere and these scriptures are quite um i would argue particularly for us in a, in a more comfortable perhaps it will soon change but in a more comfortable country where we're not sort of know that if we become a Christian, we're immediately going to suffer. There's parts in our, in our sort of UK and British history where different uh, Baptist uh, ministers, um, and I've forgotten the year that it was, but you kind of guaranteed that within two weeks you'd be martyred if you became a pastor. You know, there is some serious persecution against Christians in this country uh, hundreds of years ago. And that that would that would really separate the wheat from the chaff, really, wouldn't it? You know, it's anyone who's half-heartedly about this that would quickly get you out of it. And also, how many times have have, have I been exposed to public ridicule, or any of us, because of Christ? I, I can't, and I'm guessing. Also, we have to remember that this um, scripture was written 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, and we're now 2,000 years forward in a very different culture, in a very different land, with very different, you know, um, police with different rules, and there's different social standards, there's different laws, and. These people, public ridicule is in front of tens, hundreds maybe, and being beaten and being shunned by society, pushed out on the edge. Your only brothers and sisters that you have that are still friends and family are those who believe in Christ. You're a minority. That's, that's not the case for us. We have, although we might not be a very Christian nation now, we have Christian heritage, which means, although it might be changing, we're still not persecuted. We're still not suffering. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are in other places. But this, when you're exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, you know, or sometimes, I don't know if it was a brother, maybe a family member would be put into jail. I suffer along with them. You know, that, that's, that's because, of, because of our salvation, because we both love Christ. I support them. I suffer with them, however that might be. When have we ever been in that sort of situation? Like, we, we don't really know what that means. We, we can't tangibly know or draw on any experience to know what that call to perseverance is. But what I'd suggest is that in this country, we have a lot of individualistic 
and individualism going on. That that's very contrary or to this suffering together. That we have a lot of materialism going on because we are quite well off, you know, and we are quite safe. And and there are times when I just we're so tired and we've just got back perhaps and me and Linda can't be bothered to cook. How many takeaways are there nearby in Sudbury? There's there's plenty. I can just I can have that freedom to go and call and or go and drive somewhere as well, be able to pick that up. I don't even though I don't necessarily earn a high wage, both of us work for a charity, you know, it's, it's, it's not that I'm complaining at all, but you couldn't expect us to be earning masses, and we still have that comfortable life to be able to go and just, you know, buy food when we need it or if we can't be bothered to cook because we're tired. You know, other people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, suffer a lot worse for it. However, that puts us, as I mentioned at the beginning, that puts us in a very different place where we can then become a bit apathetic. I don't really need God. You know, it's my job that I go to and I earn the wages that I earn, which pay for the mortgage and everything else, and I have the comfortable lifestyle. And also, we are very individualistic. If you want to do something, that's up to you. It's your choice. Everything is centered around the individual. And I don't have to explain that for too long, I don't think, because I think we all sort of know it's a bit more like that. We can look back and see how we don't really talk to our neighbours so much anymore. We are more insular in how we act as a society, broadly speaking. You know, there... There's, there's some, you know, this is painting an entire nation with a brush. So there are some exceptions to that, but that is our culture. So that apathetic issue that we can have—that's a problem for our faith. What dangers do we face then? You know, because because we are called to suffer, and maybe we're not going to suffer. Maybe we're not going to get public ridicule. But you know, how, what is that going to do to our faith? It makes us. It does make us too focused on the individual, which is where I want to talk about family. Let's see where I've, I've got to. Yeah, so so f- our family. Our, I'll talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ because we here as a church, we are a family. That is what we're called to be. We're called to be a body of Christ. We belong to this church here. We also belong to Christ's church in the UK, in the county, in the and then also globally. You know, we're part of this unique family that I don't know where else that exists. Probably, perhaps you could argue with other religions as you're displaced over the world. But we're all united through a love for Christ, regardless of our language, age, race, anything like that. And we could go to someone who is perhaps we know to be a, a full-on disciple who's passionate about serving Christ, and we already have something in common and can spend time together. I mean, where is that in in the other place to that level? But for us here, how we live out our lives in our church, it's very different. Now, are you willing to be selling all of your possessions? Me, I could put my hand up and say right now, I probably wouldn't be willing to sell certain amounts of things. That's too much of an ask. And why? Because I know God promises to provide for my every need. I know God promises come true. So it's all of these things about our culture that we live in are working against us. And this is this perseverance that we have to have, which is to grit your teeth and really go against it because it's really nice to be able to just go to, down the road to McDonald's or whichever sort of curry house or a place like that when we're, and I you know, can't be bothered. But in fact, maybe I should be spending more on others and less on myself. In Acts, it talks about everyone giving to the church and no one without need. So they sold the houses that think of the, the sort of how reliant they are on each other then in a very different place. I'd rather keep my neighbours at arm's length, let alone perhaps you know you guys might be a bit closer, 
but I, I couldn't, looking at my actions, I couldn't say that that is particularly you know, the case. Because other cultures around the world, they're not so built up around the individual. That, that's, our, that's our problem, as I've said, and I want to keep saying it again, because it's something that I think we really need to realise. So then we've got to look back a bit and talk about, um, for us, as shaping our family into something that is more like Christ. Let us hold... This is from verse um, 23. Uh, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So we, we have this need to do that. I mean, I'll bring up the challenge, some of these challenges that I want to bring to us now. Because there are times when I've been around um, people's other, um, Dave and Mary is, is an easy example to bring on, but some others, where we pray for each other. And that's weird. So at the end of going over for a meal, we finish up and we sort of, how can we pray for you? And it's a little bit odd. Like, I'll pray with, with you lot in a, in a prayer meeting, um, perhaps by the side of the street. But it's a bit awkward. We don't do that. That's not what Western culture is. So how many times... Or when was the last time even, to take it a step further, that we broke bread, had communion. We read it in Acts. In Acts where they gave everything to the church, everyone went without need. What an incredible picture. Further to that, they're breaking bread regularly with each other um, in each other's homes. And, you know, I'm not saying that this is exactly how they did it, but I've, this has been something that's been on my heart for a couple of years, to my shame. I have not acted on it. And more recently, I haven't had many people over. I think eventually I can stop using a child as an excuse for that and I'm going to have to start answering for my actions. But if praying with each other is weird, and why is that weird? You know, just look at that, how the culture has affected my relationship with something so basic as a Christian with other Christians in a house. That's that's really basic. Take an even step further, having communion. We only do that in church. I mean, I, because I've missed it a few times, I might be taking Izzy out or whatever. I don't think I've had communion for a long time. Now, it is a symbol to remind myself of what Christ and others, and this is why we do it together, to remind of what Christ did for us, not me. You see how the individualistic nature comes in very quickly there. We need to be taking communion together as we share and pray together. Because this is a reminder of the hope, the promises, the salvation that we strive together yeah, and, and yes, I've, I've never done this. And this is why I thought it would probably be a good idea to say it publicly because now I've got however many witnesses that I said I'd do this and still haven't. But it is, although it's easy to laugh about it, this, I think, is so essential. Yes, we have a family feel. It's wonderful to get that encouragement from different people as they come through our church. But a family with Christ at the centre must look very different. Because otherwise, any, any culture can do this. Any culture can have a family feel. In fact, others do it better immediately because of where they are. They don't have such an individualistic and materialistic culture surrounding them. So there is more family feel. There, are, there is more living out of each other's pockets. I mean, we, I hear it through, through different um, you know, missionaries that come through. Uh, that's an easy example to pull on. But it, each equally cultural analysis points this out as well. You know, if we're going to be different, we're praying at the end of those meals. We're having communion together. And we're encouraging and spurring one another, which 
like, well, that's a bit different. I'll, I'll talk on this one first. But so there's that. And then there's intimate details, like the whole arm's length thing. Other cultures suffer from this a bit worse than us, in fairness. So uh, really, you can, if people are very friendly. I think it was in Thailand that I heard recently. People are really friendly. It's easy to strike up a conversation with anyone. It's really, really hard to get past that. And it's a bit easier here. But still, this point really counts for us because I don't remember the last time, perhaps in a year, that I shared and obviously having, there's other things, it's easy for me to pull on having a child as first child is a difficulty, but there's so many other things in life I can look back on and say that was really tough on me as well. And in those times, you need others. We don't realise it, but you need others. And so in that, in the last year, when was the last time that I shared? And there are ugly details as you go through really hopeless periods you know, and it's really not nice. And this is why we need each other to spur us on. And, and this is why I say not your spouse, because it's easy to make a few assumptions. It's, it's, it's harder to confess in, to other people that are outside of, of your marriage. And as we do get so insular with our families as well into our home and not having neighbours over. Like, I think that's a really important point. Ben talked about it a bit as well and encouraged us to be accountable to some others. just want to hit that one home again and again and again, because it makes such a difference to us as a family that we're not just a family feel, we're a family with Christ at the centre, and we're working towards that. This is the other one. When, when was the last time that you really purposefully encouraged someone? It's easy to say, brilliant music, Ben. Voice like an angel. You know, this, I can reel that one off and a few others about some less pretty faces out there. But, you know, it's, it's easy to talk about these things. And what's, what's harder, because we don't do it naturally, is to think, Okay, I know that person might be going through a difficult time. They might not be. It really doesn't matter. Motivate each other. It said, it didn't give any in this, um, in this scripture, which I think was 25. Let's, let's not look at oh, 24. 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You know, we're already holding tightly. It's not talking about when someone's suffering, bring them up. There are scriptures that talk about that. This one is just talking about how to act as a family with Christ at the centre, to actively, daily perhaps even, be thinking of ways to encourage one another. Now, we have our WhatsApp group chat that sometimes doesn't, you know, I'm not getting at it at all, but we don't always use it just purely for encouragement, the whole sharing life thing. It does sometimes make me feel a little bit woozy saying sharing life together, but it's, it's very true. It's an encouragement chat. It's to build each other up. You know, and, and sometimes we do put scriptures in there, and that is fantastic. We need to keep thinking of that. I'd like it to be more often, and perhaps even on a personal level, because you can just put something out there for everyone to enjoy. But what about thinking about something that is encouraging for a specific person, because you know them. You know where they might struggle. You might just know that they're being down. You might just know that they can need to be, keep spurring on for any reason. It doesn't have to be a bad thing that's going on in their life at all. We need to encourage each other constantly. And to do that best, you need to know that person, which is why... I wish I'd reordered these points. Sharing intimate details with each other. House groups are a really good place for this as well. To get to know more about each other, because otherwise your encouragement is it's like face value. It's just, you know, you say something, yeah, but you don't really know me, so you wouldn't say that if you did. There's loads of different things that would help us to easily shrug off any encouragement that someone gives. When we spend years, years together, intimately, that is a very different place for when encouragement happens. That has a lot of power. Because we need to act against individualism and materialism, these things that are just eating away at us in this country to be, to be sort of you know, less on fire for God. Yeah, and and that has, that's my entire life. You know. 
that I am uh, you know, not as on fire as I have been in the past. That happens. You go through different stages. But I know that I don't do this to you. I know that these points, I don't do them amongst you. And I know that I'm not the only person who doesn't do these amongst you about breaking bread, about encouraging, about sharing intimate details and building each other up. All of this, ultimately... Because another thing, salvation was given to you, the song, a fantastic song that highlighted that, as we've heard in previous scriptures. We need to remember that salvation is, you know, is for us. Also, really important is for every single person in this room. More importantly than that, everyone in, in Suffolk, which is tens and tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands even. And then there's the world, you know, the seven billion people that are living right now. Salvation, as we saw earlier in Peter. You know, he want, God wants salvation to come to everyone. And this is 7 billion people now, let alone the future. It's been 2,000 years. It might be only one more day before Christ returns. I haven't got a clue. It could be another 1,000 years. No one knows. And that's, that should sort of fill us with a bit of fear because there are consequences for not accepting all of these teachings. Again, in Hebrews, it said in this chapter, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There are other warnings about slipping away. You know, how else do we, do, do we counter that but with encouragement and with knowing each other and with sharing with each other, breaking bread with each other? And this is why this, this perseverance, to persevere through the issues that we face in our nation are also a bit different in each place. Our county, our town, there are different issues that someone over in Essex might face as well. We need to think about how we can actively get past this so that we are looking more like a, a family that is Christ-centered. Not just another culture uh, able to sort of act out as a family in a, in a place, but a completely different one changed. You know, and there's, there's salvation, there's promises to come back on that spur us on. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a reminder of those scriptures that say pray continually. That's to everyone. It's not to the specific person. This is where our individualistic nature gets over. It's all of us to pray continuously, not one person. And to you, I say rejoice. Again, rejoice. That is not down to one person. It's down to us as a church to do that. You know, stop thinking so much about ourselves and think about us as a church. That would drastically change things. And then we could be closer to discipling people, you know, and fulfilling the Great Commission, which is our purpose. Anyone sort of, what's my calling? Your purpose on heaven, or sorry, on earth, is to make more disciples for Christ. And that's how I kind of want to end it. This, the, the consequences of our actions here are so that we can be individually and as a church together fulfilling the Great Commission. That's, that's what we're here to do. And remember that, that first line. Satan wants half, a half-hearted people in our church. But if we do these things, we are changing very drastically and have the power of God behind us to save more for him. Not just to save souls, but also to disciple, which is really crucial. Yeah. And I'll leave it there and hand over to whoever is taking over from this bit. Thank you, Anna.